everybody how's it going this is jared i'm back with the halt resume podcast today i have somebody uh, a little different than normal where i normally have day traders and people in the financial markets i have a youtuber as a growing following uh content creator drifter how's it going hi everything is going pretty good i'm glad to be here and i am so curious as to the questions you are going to ask me about the financial choices that I've made in my life, because being in the content creation space is very different than what's normal on this podcast. And to be honest, it's very different than what a lot of people deal with in their day to day lives. Yeah. So uh, with that, we'll actually get right in. Uh, first question I want to start asking a lot of people this is uh, what does financial freedom mean to you? To me, that means just not having to work. That means if I just want to stop working, if I don't care and don't want to do it, that my bills will be paid until the end of time because I have enough money and enough dividends or interest or whatever to take care of that. Okay. So that is uh, for sure, I would say, the most standard way of thinking about it. And then uh, with that, I actually just want to jump into your past a little bit. We just talked about it. So mm -hmm. you have an engineering degree and a business administration degree. And from there, you moved over to content creation. Um, That's correct. How did you kind of get through that thought process of taking a jump from a standard nine to five or whatever to moving to making your own money? Uh, well, I was in university at the time that I started doing content creation. And I had, I believe that I had just I was in the last year of my engineering degree when I started playing with content creation it was going well enough to where in college instead of it being I need to work at Applebee's or I need to help in the office or whatever I can do this YouTube thing for my part-time job and then as I moved forward I needed more money for a wedding which was a little expensive so I worked very hard to get the money for that and the way the system was structured at the time, you would get paid three to maybe four months after you actually earned it. So I earned the money for the wedding, but then the money kept coming and I realized there was like real financial viability to this. And the delay was so big, as a matter of fact, in the buildup time that I'd moved from engineering into a MBA program for Masters of Business Administration. And I was also picked up another job on campus working at the Entrepreneurship Center. I went to university, I went to Mississippi State University and they were trying to do a little entrepreneurship incubator similar to the one that MIT is famous for, but it was very new at the time. And I knew the professor there and asked him to get an office job for me or ask him for an office job so I could pay my bills. And he said yes, because he'd known about the YouTube stuff and how it was going. And I continued going through my MBA and getting my degree and finishing this stuff. And it became very apparent to me in maybe my last two semesters of the MBA program that the money I was earning making YouTube videos was higher than my starting salary would be with the MBA degree. And very negligently, I put off interviews, I put off uh, internships and all sorts of other stuff to just keep working YouTube because it was going so well and paying the bills. And it was going so well, as a matter of fact, I stopped going to work at the job that my professor got for me so I, I must have skipped two or three weeks of work and did really well. And I came back to apologize and hand in my resignation, say, I'm sorry. I know you got me this job as a favor, but I, this other stuff's going so well. And the, the boss told me, Professor, it's totally fine. It's like, I expected this. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I didn't hire you because I needed an office worker. I wanted to hire you because I wanted to give you a little money to see if you could get your business going. And you did. So that's great. I did a little bit of work with the university. The university encouraged me to pursue this instead of 
perhaps a more traditional career, which was a much harder sell for my wife. Hey, hun, you know that nursing degree you have that you're out there working really hard at? Well, I want to sit home in my underwear and eat Cap'n Crunch and play video games every day. Big, big choice there. But I did graduate not too long after the 2008 financial crash where we we're still recovering from that. So all the salaries for employees were incredibly low. If I went to work with my two degrees at the time, I could have expected anywhere between forty-five and maybe $60,000 a year. Oh, with is... YouTube, yeah. With YouTube, I probably earned about fifty dollars uh, my first year. So it was kind of like a little bit on the lower side of that starting salary, but it wasn't a nine-to-five. And there's benefits of you know being your own boss. And it continued to expand over time and turned out to be one of the better decisions I've made in my life so far. So with that, you actually hit uh, an, an interesting point. Two, two interesting points I'm really going to take out of it. Um, the first one, it, it's actually a bigger one that I think a lot of people who are trying to be financially free in any way they have is that whole conversation with the significant other, right? So I have a full-time degree. Um, I have a full nine-to-five right now, and I'm working hopefully to get away from that whenever I feel like it at that point. Um but the conversation with my wife has also also been there. Hey, you know, would you be okay with me doing that? You had to go through that. And especially if your wife had a, a full-time degree with nursing and a full job there, um, mm-hmm. that conversation, d- does it take a toll mentally on you or anything else? I know you really heavily hit the, uh, the mental health aspect of, of a job as being your own boss. How did that kind of work with you in the past to help structure your future? Mm. I think you asked me two questions at once. My wife didn't take to it super well because her job was very mentally taxing and stressful. She ended up getting mild PTSD and some lifelong bodily injuries from nursing because for those of you that don't know, it's a very difficult job. You have to lift and carry heavy patients, sometimes combative patients, people die. And I was doing the opposite. I was, I decided to take an easier life. I don't know why. That's something that just kind of runs in my family. Both my father, grandfather, and great-grandfather all chose alternative means of employment that would allow them to do more of whatever they wanted in life, which was fishing, hunting, and golfing, respectively. So I chose kind of the same thing. I wanted to play more games. And the mental health aspect of it, at least for the first couple of years, was really good. Be your own boss, set your own time, do your own thing. If you feel bad today, you don't have to work. But the trick with self-employment is in many cases, especially like a single-member LLC where you're your own boss, and on YouTube where more views is more money, that means more videos is more money. More time in is more money out, and you can fall into a very toxic cycle of spending all of your free time working as a self-employed person. And for many years, that's largely what I've did. I haven't taken a vacation in, uh, ooh, I haven't taken a true vacation in five or six years. I have one scheduled upcoming really soon. Hopefully Delta doesn't blow that out of the water, but I work holidays. I work weekends. I work birthdays, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, whatever. There's, there's no stopping it because the algorithms are absolutely insatiable. And anytime you take off, you get punished for it, which is a Perhaps not a financial freedom topic, but a serious one to consider for a content creator. Most people listening to this are probably day traders that understand a little bit of the in equals out, but they probably don't work as hard on the weekends or nine to five type people. It's very different to be at least in a minor capacity on the clock, 12 to 16 hours a day, 365, year after year, no breaks. Yeah, I will I will attest to that's a drastically different um, audience aspect of things where 
per se, I don't work when I'm trading in the markets. I'm not putting in the um, 12 to 16 hour days. I mean, I'll put in maybe five hour days, but um, the risk coming in the financial markets can be a little more, I'll say, heavy on the aspect of, I don't want to call it gambling because there are ways to actually play the market statistically well, um, but it definitely is a drastic difference. And the mental aspect for what I was going on with that last question was how did it take to you and your wife of you being your own financial boss? Whereas, you know, per se of having a nine to five, having a guaranteed income, having uh benefit oh, she retirement. She, she hated it, man, because she had to do the nine to five and then I was still earning more money, but it wasn't stable money. It's still not stable money. Now what I do could just disappear tomorrow. And my life and my work and goals and careers just poof in a smoke, just like a magic trick. So it was a very hard sell. We had a great number of arguments over financial decisions that were being made at the time. And I think we made most of them well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're doing well yourself. You haven't had to go get a nine to five with any of the degrees or anything. Um, I know there's a portion of time, I'm not sure if you still are, if you can even say it, but where you were heavily involved with Team Envy which is a tier one esports organization that's doing extremely Uh, well right now. I can talk about that. I don't think I was very heavily involved. My my deal with Envy was a very beneficial one for me, but it could have been a little more beneficial. I was given a little bit of equity in the company, and I do mean a pretty small amount in exchange for videos and promotions. And that was, they were kind of trying to build out an influencer team similar to what Optic had, because Optic had a whole like cast of characters that weren't necessarily pro gamers at the time. And it was me and T. Martin and I think one or two other people got a similar deal. So I got into Envy when it was tiny, when it was like a, a joke, a less than 1% of what it is now by far. And I wanted to work with Envy on business deals and business stuff, but there was a, a couple of roadblocks there. Number one is that uh, Hastro or Mike was very hands-on and he loved doing him things himself. And at the time he didn't delegate a lot of responsibility. So there wasn't a lot for me to be responsible for and prove myself. There was uh, an, another issue of, I kind of sort of torpedoed our first big deal in the company. This is one that I'm gonna be very careful about my words on because there's like several NDAs involved and a company that's still very litigious. But there was a product that they signed on to promote, a very technical specific one that had not been thoroughly tested or reviewed in any capacity. So I busted it out at home. I took it apart and I reviewed it and I found that it was essentially a scam. Uh, imagine, imagine a $200 magnetic power bracelet kind of scam for gaming. But okay. the contract had been signed and the money was exchanged. And here I am trying to tell bunch of millionaires and pro gamers that this is a scam and this doesn't work and i complained about it because it would be a plague to the gaming community and it was just unethical and then the ceo of the other company starts calling and sending her engineers to call me and it ended in a i think she was crying and the engineers were shouting and then there was a lawsuit and the the money had to get returned and nobody was happy with me i got to take a big fat l on that one and after that my involvement in business significantly diminished Okay, so they took you where you were trying to be uh, beneficial, helping the company grow in the aspect of handling business deals because you have a degree based around business, which mm-hmm. is nice. Um, yeah. You moved over to just content creation around the Envy brand. That's what I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That was primarily what I was there for. Okay. 
Now, with that, I don't know if you still have the stake in the company or not. I mean, uh... no, no, it's uh, they bought me out. I wanted to keep it, but it was a forced buyout where all the other okay. partners voted because, you know, they got, you know, angel investor venture capital money and stuff. I took I took my buyout and bought a Tesla with it. And that's how it went. OK, well, I mean, you got a fairly good car choice. Not gonna yeah. lie, it beats out uh, the majority of cars there on the ground right now. Um, Great scooter, I put zero dollars in. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to say free Tesla, but free Tesla. Yeah, almost. Um. So with that, now, uh, and and during our emails here, um, I really actually want to hit on one of the things you said. You had a lot of a lot of failures in the financial industry. Oh yes. Um. I think everybody has it. So, but just background on me. Uh, when I first started learning how to trade, I took a thirty thousand dollar loss. Uh, mm. nine to five, I grew a trading account really well. Um, but I was really just lucky. I'm not going to lie to you. didn't know anything of what I was doing. Uh, I was 24. I think when I took the loss, uh, it took me about a month to blow a $30,000 account down to $3,000. Um, so it's a big L. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you to think that like everybody getting in the financial market is like a wizard if they come out the, come out the gate running. Uh, so with that, do you want to explain any of your, your losses or anything that you've done Ooh. that is a learning experience for people not to do? Okay, I can do that. Using the Envy money to buy myself a brand new Tesla was probably not as smart as potentially using it to pay off my house. I did, I did buy the house two years later, but that was two years of mortgage I had to pay in the meantime. So that was foolish of me. That's an easy one. There are harder ones, harder lessons to learn. I did not invest as early as I should have. So while I, I know that I am incredibly handsome, as you complimented me earlier, <laughs> no, we're, we're setting up cameras and stuff. I, how would I say this? I grew up incredibly ridiculously poor, like no heat, no air, uh, just sometimes no running water, eating varmints and fish and raccoons and stuff to survive, not for my entire childhood, but for sections of it. So when it came to having money, if I had a couple thousand dollars in the bank, well, man, I was rich. I could just do whatever else I wanted with the rest of it. I didn't go out and buy Lambos and just waste it. But one thing I didn't do is I didn't invest it. I didn't put it in stocks. I didn't put it in bonds or any, any IRA or much of that. And I started investing much later in life than I should have. I, started, I should have started investing in my 20s. I really didn't start until probably like my very late 20s, which puts me a little bit behind. I made some mistakes in my initial investments. I bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff, and it was looking really good. And then the entire market crashed and it tanked. And the moment it went back to break even last fall during all the election chaos and whatever, I just sold every penny of it. But it's depressing, especially Ethereum. I sold it to get like $600 back that would have been worth 10 times that much now, which is just uh, heartbreaking. A lot of little mistakes like that. There was mistakes with trusting financial advisors. I got a friend that got a job at Ameriprise. They do financial advising. And I realized that I spend all my day managing content. Even if I have a degree in this, I probably cannot be active in managing my own finances because there's only so much time in the day. So I contracted their services and initially worked under my friend. And then he got transferred and I got other people. And I wasn't paying as much attention to it because I was paying Ameriprise $1,500, $2,000 a year or something like that, thinking, well, they're actively managing my account, right? No, they just there was just like almost $100,000 in cash just sitting there, just 
like not even invested in anything. And then there was other stuff that they didn't do. So I missed out on like two years of investments because I didn't check to see that the people that I was paying to manage the money did that. So that was foolish. I do almost all of my own investing now. Ameriprise did help me with some creative tax structures, but outside of that, not so much. I did not take advantage of LLC and uh, loopholes and tax breaks earlier in my career. For a lot of my career, I did sole proprietorship, which has a very high tax rate, not a lot of flexibility on deductions and things like that. And swapping over to an LLC not terribly long ago has saved me a colossal amount of money every year. And I, I think that this is going to absolutely trigger everybody that listens to a podcast about finances because they tend to be uh, more on the right and more on the money side of the right is that the the moment that I changed from sole proprietor to LLC, even though nothing about my business changed, my tax rate got cut by like 75% or more. It was stupid. It, is, it makes no sense. There's no way that can be ethical or right the way that works, but that's how it works. So I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have been more flexible on some of the games that I played. I missed some big opportunities. I had an opportunity to be a Fortnite character back when that game was nothing. I missed out on GTA, a couple of streaming things. I had some bad negotiations. And one of the things that I also learned the hard way is how punishing corporate groupthink can be if you're an outsider. So I was lucky enough to be more famous early in my career than I am now and more connected to things than... So I would get invited to early access programs, this streaming site, this beta thing, this early game. And growing up in the environment that I grew up in, which is primarily, you know, blue collar people that work all the time, I was taught as a value to always be honest with people. And even if that honesty can be brutal, that doesn't mean that I walk around and I'm a complete dick and just destroy things. I give feedback and criticism in the exact same tone and voice in what you're hearing now. But if something is bad, you're supposed to tell somebody that it's bad. And that would happen with like a big uh, Fortune 500 company. Like I did, a, I did, a, I was doing a thing for YouTube gaming at one point, and YouTube gaming had this beta feature that they wanted to put me in. And it was just, it was the stupidest thing. I'm not going to go into details because people on that team probably still be butthurt about it. But it was like when they were trying to compete with Twitch and they were trying to come up with their version of subscriptions and stuff. And they came up with something that was just like objectively bad on almost every level in that it made less money for the creators it cost more for the fans and didn't even integrate with anything and i didn't i didn't like it but i was still invited into uh i believe it was skype at the time so kind of like what we're doing on discord meeting and they had all these corporate people come in and then they introduced their influencers and asked them what they think and there were like five guys that was just like yeah i love it and then i gave real feedback about why it has problems and they just kicked me out of the call and I was completely cut off of all Google and YouTube access ever since. And I've made that mistake more than once. Now that could be a personal flaw on their end, but what I've learned the hard way is that giant corporations tend to have a lot of groupthink. They tend to be very committed to their ideas because a corporation is not fast or flexible and changing these things in many cases requires many, many man hours of labor and somebody's gonna get blamed for doing it wrong in the first place. So they're very reluctant to accept criticism and even less re re uh, willing to make changes. And that being an honest and genuine person in a corporate environment was much to my detriment. For the most part these days, I've learned that I should probably just say nothing. I try not to lie to people, that's a bad habit. But if the meeting's going bad or there's something wrong, I'll just leave. I just won't say anything because speaking up and you know, you talk about, I'm banned on Facebook. 
I can't have a Facebook account. I can't play Oculus Rift. I can't get on Instagram. Do you know why? Was it because I, I kicked my dog or gave a, a child a random bottle of pills like all these weird streamers do? No, it was because I criticized Facebook's handling of Cambridge Analytica and the way they harvest data from minors that can't legally consent to a lot of things. And they're just like, you know what? This drifter guy doesn't support our cause. He's banned from every single product category that we have, and that's it. So that is a massive mistake that I learned. I should have just said nothing. I should have just been silent, but uh, my big mouth got me killed. Interestingly, my oldest ancestor, if I can get on the history books and look up, my oldest ancestor was a court squire and poet that got murdered for having a big mouth. So I guess that runs in the family even 600 years later. Interesting there. Uh, a lot of a lot of points hit. Um not going to really make you dive into them. I think they're pretty, you, you explained them very well. Um, so with that, your your perception of business deals has changed drastically, I'm assuming, right? Yes, it's more, it's more cold now than it used to be. I used to come in kind of like a fresh engineer, like I'm going to be part of the team. I'm going to help make something great. And then I realized that the people that are making the decisions view you not as a person, but as an interchangeable product. You are, you are an item, a thing to them. So I don't, I don't give them as much personal love and consideration as I do before. I, I take the deals uh, almost like a lawyer, like I'm advocating on behalf of a client, and it has to be serious. Okay. Um, no, with that, and there's something I extremely respect about you here. Um, you're very. Uh... I'll say brand loyal almost. So you, uh, if you love something, you'll promote it. And mm -hmm. you've done that well with many of your sponsors. Um, but That's you true. won't promote something you don't like where uh, you can come up with that huge brand deal you had early on um, or that big business deal, uh, many other things. But you, you really stick to those um, products you like, right? And I think that that's a huge thing for your brand specifically. It is. Uh, can you go into detail about what made you, you you stick to like what you use? That's what you'll promote rather than what somebody's willing to pay you. Say, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars to promote this and you hate it. Correct. I actually turned down exactly that deal many years ago. <laughs> it's a bad brand. I believe. Oh, this is a tough question. <laughs> I, I will correct you slightly. There is a product that I, I ultimately promoted because basically I signed a contract and then the product changed, but the contract stuck and I tried to get out of it. And I ended up in a, in a shouting match with the CEO of a company that threatened to sue me and my family into the ground and bankrupt us and all this kind of stuff. And it was nasty. So I, I took an L on one particular deal and promoted a product that I didn't like for a few months and then wiggled my way out of it. So I'm not perfect. But for the most part, I think that promoting a product that you use every day is the best way to do it. For example, I promote uh, Gamer Advantage glasses. They're one of my newer sponsors. But I got the product almost a year ago, and I just started using it. And I kind of like didn't really want to work with them. I didn't want more sponsors. But I was still just like using the product every day because it was good. It helped protect my eyes and stuff. And then after almost a year, I was like, well, man, I'm just like on camera all the time in these glasses. I might as well get paid for it. And then when I finally do the review, uh, the sales were absurd, phenomenal even. My fans were basically telling me, well, we were just waiting for the link to show up. We obviously know it's good. You've been using it for a year without getting paid. So use it, 
promoting products that you use is easy. You understand them. You can People can see you touching them and using them live. They bleed through your performance in the gameplay and as little parts of your identity because you keep piling up merchandise too, shirts and stuff. Um, I know it's important to find a good product. It's important to test the product and it's important for the product to match what you want out of it. And I believe that if you've done that, you've done three or four very important steps of honesty that a lot of creators don't. And that's kind of hard to fake or mask and the audience by and large resonates with that really well. Now doing these deals of promoting something unethical for $100,000 is not what I like to do because while I would very much so like $100,000 if you happen to have that to just give me today for YOLO, Sorry, it doesn't cult. pay off in the long run. If I did that deal, I could collect my hundred grand, but then the next deal I did, people would be more skeptical about. And let's say the next deal was sales commission based. Well, that blows me up. Or let's say, let's say I do a hundred thousand dollar deal and it's a crummy product and I just get my money and go, I'm going to lose some fans. They're going to look at me different. And then if I do, let's say the second crummy deal, I'm going to lose more fans. And then by the time it's for the third crummy deal, nobody's buying anything. Their performance on the last two campaigns are probably well known because all these little gaming companies talk to each other. People always have a good idea of what your value is, how much you can sell, how good you are. So if I do these deals and I'm pocketing cash and not really doing anything for the company, all of a sudden I've got no deals from anybody, even from good companies. So the strategy behind that is a very long-term strategy and building trust and working with things that you are familiar with. And there's a second personal one with that in that I told you about growing up really broke. I also grew up in a really broken household where lying was a necessary tool for survival, genuine survival. And I believe that I am quite good at lying when I need to be, but as a personal value, I utterly despise it. So if I can live my life honestly and openly and tell the truth as much as possible, that's a benefit to me, and that's a lifestyle choice. Okay, so you, you're picking... The aspect of having a reputable brand over a long time to have uh, consistent income with companies that you like rather than taking an upfront payment in a sense. Correct. Okay. I, I, I actually really like that. Um, I think long-term growth rather than short-term growth, whether it's through brand deals or any influencer out there, content creator, day trader, anything, I think you're long-term, you look long-term rather than looking short-term is how you're going to get to that financial freedom aspect in life. Correct. Um, I've done some short-term work, of course, but mostly long-term. Well, you have your um, your go-to brands that are all mm -hmm. over your YouTube. Um, and yeah, I'm a bit of a NASCAR. Like, <laughs> I got stuff all over. Uh, I wasn't saying that. I mean, uh, as of today, you're really, really close with Astro Gaming. Mm -hmm. Which uh, is now Logitech. Yes. It's still Astro branded though, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you've been close with Logitech also. You've promoted their mm -hmm. products for, for years, and that's coming as a fan hearing that from you. Uh, I'm still using them. Same, the same ones that you might have seen, I've still got. They're kind of beat up, and I've got gross little finger gunk all over them, but I'm still using them. Oh, it, I think showing that helps the, the companies show that you're willing to stick with them a long time. But then, as you pointed out, you get the analytics or the sales come from it coming through those gamer glasses where they're like hey we got a very large uptick in sales based on when your video went out about it or when you put out your sponsored and that can mm -hmm. show uh analytically for a company that this person can bring in x amount of money that gives us x amount of profit and they right. can do the the finance on the back end to say here's how much they're you're worth paying versus how much they're bringing in 
That's what I do when I go fishing for deals. I, I'm blessed that there's usually a good amount coming into me. But if I go looking for a deal, I will take a successful campaign like the Gamer Advantage one. And I will make probably about a less than 10 page Google Slides or PowerPoint presentation showing the product, the brand, when it started, revenue earned for me, revenue earned from the company. Then I'll try to be like, well, outside of that revenue, here's the company's growth based on the amount of clicks or views or image prestige that they have somehow gleaned from me and present that to people. And those sort of numbers saying like, hey, this dude can sell X number of, of products clearly with this campaign is a really good way to promote yourself to companies if you're looking for a sponsorship. That's one of the things that most people don't do in the social media space. They'll say, well, I've got a million followers on some platform, therefore I'm worth X dollars, or I have so many people watching me live or so many likes or retweets or whatever in the world. And that's absolutely not true because that's one of the things that Astro wisely does is they look for partners that have an active engaged fan base and not necessarily just the largest of fan bases. Because I've seen the back end of sponsorship deals where you'll hire a super streamer like one of these people that like stream for like 25,000 people and have like a 10 million YouTube subs or whatever and they might have crazy numbers but their fans may not be particularly engaged so their percentage of sales or click-through rate might be something like 0.01 percent and then the brand just loses a ton of money whereas there are other streamers that have a much more engaged fan base and the numbers aren't as crazy but it's far easier to get them to purchase a product and I'm, i think i'm losing my own thread here a little bit what was the question no no you're 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 actually on on pace with it it was the um the idea of being reputable and having okay. um your reputable your brand and then you actually went on kind of to my next question um or or statement to go off of which is uh you to at least with that explanation for other companies you tell yourself that you're a product to people you sell yourself. Yes. Which... Yes. I tell them that I, I usually try to give them a range of performance. It depends on what they want. You know, some companies just want people to watch a trailer. Other companies want people to buy a $3,000 computer. So I try my best to give them a range of outcomes. And I also try to tell them what I think the most likely outcome is. Okay. And, and with that, and this actually comes into something I really want to talk about and will probably be kind of where we end it. Because uh, you're, you're a subset of a YouTube genre I like. Um, with that, you as a business, you can say, here's the data behind it. And here's how mm -hmm. much that is expected to be made based on X variables, right? That is correct. And I think uh, coming from somebody who has emailed out, I can't tell you how many streamers, content creators to get on this podcast. Um, where I'm getting responses saying, well, here's how much it is for an hour recording. Um coming from someone who doesn't have that money that I'd like to put out at the moment. Uh, having yeah. that data is something that's massive, right? If I can justify paying X amount of money for somebody, then I think that that's well worth it if I'm going to get X amount of clicks to my podcast that's going to give me X amount of return if I get ad, re ad revenue on it. That's terrifying to me. I was actually thinking about making my own podcast and I just I hate the idea of having to pay people to be there. I think you'd be much better to get people that want to be there. So I agree with that. Uh, having you respond and just going over the fact that you think financial freedom is a huge aspect that um, a lot of younger generations, I would say 30 and under, millennials and under, have never really had the idea of going, 
where the older generation had the ability to start a business and not have to go into too much debt on that or have the option to grow. You even just hinting at that made me realize that you're going to be a better fit for this rather than trying to get somebody who may honestly not have an, a big understanding of the background of their own business that's going on. So I, I appreciate that. Oh, well, that, thank you. And I don't dude. if you want to talk about the differences in generational wealth, it's insane. I'm I'm an elder millennial and I baby boomers and the way that they acquired their wealth drives me crazy because that's unattainable. It's scary to me that I I make good money. I don't think I'm the wealthy Uber elite, but a lot of people would probably call me rich or re upper middle, reasonably well to do, you know, uh, looking at how much it's going to cost to retire in the future. I realize I'm going to need to do YouTube like another 10 or 15 years for that to be viable. And that the average person making 36 to maybe 50 or 60 grand a year, they would have to work like a hundred or 200 years to retire. And that's, that's for millennials. And then I look at how much millennials have to spend for health insurance, which doesn't even always cover everything. And home insurance or just mortgage and then a vehicle and all these other additional fees associated with their life that their parents didn't have. And they graduate college $100,000 in debt, which is like a whole house that they don't get to live in if they were paying the mortgage on it. It's, it's, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal for young people out there. And I believe that the system is genuinely designed, I don't think, by an evil you know, guy in the shadows sitting under a <laughs> volcano with the Illuminati, but just, you know, wealth creates wealth. The system seems to be rigged to want to force younger people to work indefinitely. I believe the majority of millennials and Gen Z and maybe even Gen X will never be able to retire. They will just work until they die. They will never have the money to retire. And they're also being viewed as products after the creation of the credit score system, which is something that most countries don't have, if I'm not mistaken. I know not all of them do. And that's something that hasn't always been in place. The credit score system was put in place in the late 80s, if I remember correctly. So the millennial generation and to a slightly lesser degree, but still important to them, Gen X gen generation were sort of the guinea pigs for how this system works. And everything that you do is affects this score and this score affects everything that you do in your life. And the score is just designed to see how much money you can manage, how big of a loan you can make, and like how much interest you can pay off to various companies. So it's almost like an indicator of how profitable you are as an investment vehicle, which is terrifying to quantify every single aspect of a person, of their personality, and shrink it down to a number. For example, there was a time where I wanted to purchase a house and I could not. My income was excellent. It was way higher than would be necessary for the loan. I just didn't have the cash to buy the thing outright. And I did not have a credit score because I was raised by my grandparents who grew up in the Great Depression and they despised credit and credit cards and loans and all this kind of stuff. So I was very clean. I was cash heavy, saving money every month, pay my bills on time kind of stuff. No credit score, couldn't buy anything. I had all this cash and I couldn't get a I couldn't get a credit card. I couldn't get a car loan. I went to the Spanish furniture store and tried to get a loan for a hundred dollar chair, even though I had the cash to buy not just all of the furniture, but the whole building outright and the store declined me. And that system terrifies me. And I feel that it traps so many people in my generation. They're stuck with debt that they'll never pay off, jobs that don't keep up with the cost of living, and they don't have enough money left over to even do financial independence stuff like the fire movement, even if they wanted to. It's, it's, it's 
ridiculously hard. They have to work multiple jobs, work themselves into the ground, and it's it's scary to me. I don't. I'm ranting a bit, but it's genuinely terrifying to see the financial pressures that our system puts on regular people. No, I mean you're you're so you're talking to somebody who has I graduated ninety thousand dollars in debt and with a bachelor's degree. Um, my first job out of college was sixteen dollars an hour, thirty two thousand a year, with a four year degree. <sighs> yeah. Um, luckily, I got I got a job that paid really well, but it was literally because I interviewed well. That's the only reason I got it. Um, but no, I agree. So I, as a note, um, I I have a friend who doesn't have uh, credit, and she got a fifteen percent interest rate on her car loan. Ooh, terrifying. I had a 5% interest rate because I had credit since I was 16. I got lucky that I had a family to note that. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I agree. So a million dollars, a million dollars at retirement's nothing now. Um, you'll blow through that within your first 10 years of retiring. And that's if you want to travel, uh, which is terrifying because that retirement age is supposed to be your golden years. And that's where I think uh, looking at financial freedom or even the idea of getting uh, passive income at a younger age does really well. Um, and we'll move on from a less morbid topic to something that I think you fit a very, very good niche of in um, YouTube or in content okay. creation in general. And this is something I want to ask how you thought of getting there if it was just natural to you. Your uh, content is heavily based around analytics, right? So you do the... Um, go over how much damage and what gun's the best gun for Call of Duty games and other games. You've gone into networking information, uh, going over like how to region lock yourself with your router so you get the best ping times, um, skill-based matchmaking, like heavily in depth. And I don't think there are actually many creators out there that do that. Uh, one of the big ones I know is Devin Nash does that huge for Twitch going into like how to grow on Twitch. What mm-hmm. made you take such an analytical route rather than going from the high energy YouTube route? A couple of different things. First of all is that I have have and or had the personality of a wooden plank. The <laughs> person that you hear speaking to you today with this voice and these inflections and these stories is not who I was when I started this journey. I Some not so great things happened to me a long time ago, so I didn't have a very good speaking voice. I spoke in a flat, monotone voice like this all the time, reading analytics, feeling nothing, knowing nothing, expressing nothing. And I didn't even have the capability of doing anything else. There was, like the voice that you're hearing me speak is not my real voice. This is a voice that I've trained myself to use over the years. At the time, I was still creative though. I still fucking loved making little art projects and little videos and stuff. But I couldn't be in them. I couldn't star in my own productions. So I relied on the engineering skills that I learned of analytics. And I've always been a big believer in science and math and analysis and higher education and stuff like that, which is why I got vaccinated. And now I'm being mind controlled by the NWO or whatever. That's just 5G. You're fine. Yeah. You're upgraded. So it was very natural to me to use the engineering degree, use the skills that I had and the know-how to be analytical. And the voice that I had at the time matched that sort of dry content very well. And I think the genesis for the idea to do guides came from an argument with a friend of mine who was very clearly wrong about something, but very pigheaded and stubborn. And I made my first video to objectively prove that this man was wrong and get a, okay, you're right out of him. 
And I realized that almost nobody was doing that in the gaming space. At the time, I don't believe genuinely, I don't think there was a single person doing that in the gaming space. Maybe Xbox Ahoy, we started at a very similar time. And I have kind of just expanded upon that idea and made it work for me for a very, very long time. And I appreciate the compliments, but it's a little bit embarrassing because I have to admit for all that that I've done, I am a very messy worker. I, when I do these kind of analyses and stuff, it's a little bit more mad science-like and a little bit less like the nice clean charts and stuff that you see on other channels these days. So now there's a whole host of channels that have taken what I originally did and they're now doing it often in many ways better than I'm doing, which is good. It's nice to see that I've created a space for other people to thrive in. And over time and time and time again doing Call of Duty, it's kind of not been great for my mind, mental health, to be juggling COD numbers and weird testing and stuff all the time. I'm now hitting a phase of my life where I am less interested in analytics, uh, perhaps not less interested in reading them. I'm a lot less interested in creating my own analytics of just, you know, inputting raw data and testing and spending hours calibrating various things. So I'm, you've caught me in a transition and I may not be your data guy forever. No, that's fine. I think... The big thing for that, right, um, you found a huge niche that no one was doing or very few people were doing, uh, and you grew with that with a background that you have. I think that's really important, right? So you can have um, somebody with an English degree, and there could be a niche out there that they don't know of or that they, they'd never see, and they could be the person to start that niche, and it can grow into something that's really big down the line where you're basing it off a of background where nowadays we have kids that are, I don't know, what's the age to get on TikTok? 13 to make one? That'll something like that. Massively blow up and, and they'll become a, a business in and of themselves well before they even have the chance of learning how a business works, right? So I think something you've done extremely well in that aspect is to kind of take a niche with a background that you have and turn it into a business, whether it was petty or not any case people make businesses to be petty hell bill gates one of the richest men in the world spent five thousand dollars to buy the mac os off of an apple engineer and well, then the turn business, it into windows the business was going before that i did before i did gaming i did machinima which was like all these stories of sad spartans or spartans telling poop jokes and like uh, Red you know Blue. making your little movies in the end so i already had that going on and the in-depth was my first foray into gameplay commentary and funny thing is at the time we all proper machinima directors, people that had to write scripts, be cinematographers and edit. We didn't like these peasants coming on and playing Call <laughs> of Duty, just talking for 10 minutes about some nonsense and getting more views. What kind of Philistines are watching this content? And we fought myself, we protested against it and them getting paid and stuff. And ultimately I decided to go with the flow instead of against the flow. And in many cases with business, that's what you have to do. Okay, so interesting note there didn't know everybody hated youtube growing in the way that it grew it's a good little note. Well, the, the gaming space because the gaming space you had the stuff like rb and the chief and these like big spartan battle montages and source filmmaking and these little you know video game skits and stuff and they took hours of time to produce with voice actors and filming and editing and this complex special effects and complicated stuff and you were you were effectively making little films on micro budgets probably yeah yeah um, so then we'll go into my last one, if you don't mind, if you have more to say, go, yeah, let's for, go it. for it. Yeah. I was um, going to say, but then people started doing it for free and we were super salty because <laughs> we're working hard. <laughs> uh, understandable there. Truly understandable. Um, 
So the last real question I have, um, and it's something you can go into detail with or you don't have to, um, I truly believe it is the only way to get financially free in the aspect of you really get to do what you want to do when you want to do. Um, multiple sources of income. If you want to go into detail on on what you have, because you're, you're a full business in and of yourself, I assume mm-hmm. there are other things besides just brand deals and merch that go right. into your finances. You don't have to go into super big so, detail. I am in worse shape than most creators. I don't know. You've told me some of the creators. I don't know what their answers are. A lot of creators manage a lot of platforms these days. It's kind of gotten weird to the point where bigger creators almost always have a support staff where it used to be you do everything yourself. For me, I've got YouTube, which has an ad revenue built into it. Then uh, I have Twitter, and oddly, Twitter is my big one. The monetization rates on Twitter have been really good this past year. So posting video tweets has been excellent for my bottom line. After Twitter, there's Twitch. And I think people sub to me on Twitch. I have a presence there and viewers, but Twitch I don't necessarily do for money. I do that primarily for fun and for my fans. So that's not a huge revenue earner, but it does earn revenue. Then I have a couple of brand deals, actually maybe four or five of them now that pay very well. And I manage those every month to the best of my ability. Each one of, I, you could probably count each one of those as a revenue source, but we'll lump them together into one big revenue source. So I would say that I've got four. I've got YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and brand deals. But I personally am not happy with four of them. I am getting ready to do other things with my money. I'm looking at various investments and products and opportunities to expand. And I'm looking to be more of an investor YouTuber in that instead of, let's say, partnering with the next Scuff Gaming, I'll just buy a percentage of equity in them and give them initial funding and stuff. So that's what I'm hoping to move into in the future. I don't want to say anything too early, but God willing, I'll be able to launch maybe my own brand of something in a year or two, where that's that's a, that's an insanely difficult job that yet remains to be done. Okay. I, I appreciate the more honesty on that aspect. I know a lot of people have gone off on that. I know, so as reference, I don't know if you know who it is, uh, Energy, uh, one of the business directors, Joe, over there is a relatively good buddy of mine here, and he's gone into mm-hmm. detail about shockingly how um esports companies make their money nowadays is through ad revenue based on videos and content they put out and he's like twitter is shockingly one of the better ones to put content out on and i was like ah so they know so the twitter one's still a secret not everybody knows about the twitter secret he so like you is super analytical and wants the data to back up how he makes the money i know that oh. there are very few people that do put out twitter videos as i scroll through my timeline with content creators there and mm-hmm. don't see many and you're one of the few ones that did um, There's a very good reason for that. I don't know what he told you about it, but let's just say it's a very compelling reason. Uh, he didn't go into any detail. He just said that you'd be shocked on the aspect of where people and companies can make their money from on ad revenue. That's true. And an esports team is going to have even more. They're going to have a lot of opportunities. So the good thing about being a, this is a weird one, a public person, a person of note. I try not to use the word famous because that feel that just feels douchey. Uh, influencer or something is that there are a lot of opportunities for income, a lot of unusual kind of sideways opportunities to use whatever sort of influence you have to make a little bit of additional income. Well, the fact that you're taking advantage of it means you're pushing yourself in a direction to be financially stable or free well into the future. Um, so yeah, that's that's honestly all I have. If you want to say any closing remarks, of course, all your links are going to be in the description here, whether 
you're going to get many followers from me rather than what you have is uh, will to be seen, but they'll be there and I appreciate it. The advice that I would give to people, and I, after this interview, I don't know, perhaps I'm not very confident in myself. I don't know if people would look to me as an advisor or a wise person for financial independence. I would tell them that if they're looking at content creation specifically, they should keep in mind that even still, it is like the wild, wild west. It used to be a wilder west, but everything is in chaos. Everything is in flux. I have personally had to change the focus and strategy of my business three or four times over the last couple of years. And it is, I always say it is surfing the wave of chaos. You have to go with the flow. You have to find the next path. It's like a battle royale. You have to keep surviving. And if you don't, you're just dead and permanently dead. It's not like a normal business. You can just start back up. So if you want to make your money in influencing, you need to be very risk tolerant. And this is an unusual one because I'm largely a risk averse person, but I chose this based just on the potential that it has. And over time, I had to grow more comfortable with the obscene amount of risk that come with content creation. Because right now, for example, let's say that I get banned on YouTube and all these Twitter and all this stuff tomorrow and all my money goes away. You do realize that I can't go back and get a regular job. If you put my name, my whole real name or my alias or anything, or even my picture into Google, it's going to pull back so much crazy stuff and a dozen different controversies and opinion I had 12 years ago and me in a dress and me blowing up a helicopter and all this, like weird stuff. You're not getting hired at McDonald's. It's just done. So I'm, I'm committed to ride this wave of chaos for the rest of my life, wherever it goes. Okay. That, that actually is kind of, I guess the closing statement of probably the title of the podcast there is just risk adverse versus taking a risk, which is what you did. Um, I, I appreciate this. This is, I actually learned a lot from this. I'm glad to have contributed to your knowledge. <laughs> well, I'll say thank you. Uh, I'm going to call it there. Uh, I will be back. I'm trying to do monthly. Uh, we'll see that. We'll see where that goes with the nine to five, but uh, I appreciate the call. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.